coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. And so again, a person would just, this would be so easy. I'm not telling people they should trust me. I'm saying they could measure their pulse and temperature. And if those were low, I think they could infer that they had higher activity of the stress systems and those systems liberate fat. Um, but like a, a person on their deathbed is liberating tons of fat into their blood. They're, they're fat burners. <laughs> like that, that's the state of death. And so it's like the idea that we should like mimic that in some way is, is, and again, I'm not, things, things I'm saying right now are not controversial. Like this is like pretty fundamental and like in basic stress research. And so I, as being a low carb person and finding this out, I was shocked. I, I could not believe that so many people were saying that burning fat was some optimal fuel when it was so um, ingrained in the literature that this was like a, a response to stress to slow the system down, basically. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed independent health researcher, coach, best-selling author, and host of Generative Energy Podcast, Danny Roddy. We discussed how to live a pro-metabolic life, along with the importance of measuring temperature and pulse, Danny's experience with the carnivore diet, fat oxidation versus glucose oxidation, important labs to get measured, ways to increase metabolism, and his one tip to get your body back to what it once was. Really enjoyed my interview with Danny Roddy. I hope you do too. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin and I have Danny Roddy on. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. We were just talking. I've had uh, uh, one of your sidekicks. I know he's on your podcast. Uh, has been on it a bit. Jay Feldman on it on your G generative energy podcast. Correct. Yeah, we we swiped that name from. Uh, no, no, no. That that Jay okay. is on Bioenergetic Helpline, and then Georgie Dinkov is on the Generative Energy, and then I have like a revolving door of people I really like and respect that I, I try to get on there. Yeah, but not no. Jay. I don't. I don't. <laughs> no, just, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I know you, Georgie. I listened to him talk. I'm like, wow, he's smart. <laughs> like, I can't keep up with him. He's a powerhouse. Yeah, he's a Bulgarian wizard powerhouse of information. Of, yeah, uh, the bioenergetic perspective. Yeah, and and on that point, why don't we, why don't maybe explain to the audience a little bit about the bioenergetic perspective, like sort of this this pro metabolic life that um, you know I know you talk a lot about on your podcasts. Uh, I, I think it gets it gets to the heart of like what is health and like what is disease, and so it's like kind of staggering that in the health world you you find out how few people are actually even answering that question. For example, like I cut my teeth in the low carb space, but like I, I would I, it would be hard for me to even think of if they had like a uniform uniform idea of like what made a person healthy and what made them sick. And it's like what if you just don't eat carbs? Are you therefore are you now healthy? Like it. Mm -hmm. it and then that usually um, all these doctors would be like, oh, well, we have like markers and stuff like that. Then if you have a low CRP or something, you're going to be healthier, something like that. But it, it just didn't seem like a cohesive worldview. And so um, I can't I think I found Rain maybe like late 2010. But like I didn't understand anything he was saying for a long time. But there, there's something about him and about his like point of view about health and disease that was way more like cohesive than anything I had 
confronted before that and i was like oh okay so like a child is um like a healthy child maybe not today maybe in like the 1950s or something like that's what 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 an aging adult should try to emulate um they have proportionally more like pregnenolone progesterone and dhea and those are like the steroids that erode in a person's 20 and 30s and 40s and 50s and etc and those are the steroids that protect a person from stress they're um produced when a person has higher thyroid function and then higher thyroid function is usually represented by like a high pulse or a high temperature. And, and if, if you go to a five-year-old, even today, they'll probably have a heart rate of like 90 beats per minute or something. And they're, they're very warm. And so those things are lo lost in adulthood. And so I, I thought Ray's basic argument of like trying to support the metabolic rate uh, and, and that led to less metabolic stress. It, 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 that was just really compelling to me because um, for, I kind of skipped over it, but my personal experience of being cold all the time and stuff like that. And so I was like, man, this guy's just doing something that I really haven't seen done anywhere else. And, and just the, the guy, his, his demeanor and stuff was so unique and cool. And um, it's just like a cool, humble, uh, really unique guy. So uh, it was just, a, it was like a confluence of things. Uh, but um it, it, I, I think getting into it, it it's hard it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube like you start really mm -hmm. noticing noticing all these deficits in other people's like povs of health and, it, and it's hard to take them seriously i think after you get into the a lot of repeats though yeah i think the definition of health like you mentioned can be a bit skewed nowadays just because of like social media uh like with instagram and everyone looks like they have a six-pack and you know like there's there's un these unbelievable bodies and you're thinking to yourself well is that optimal health i mean what what would your definition of optimal health be uh there would be qualities you know like yeah. um uh, like <laughs> being happy would be nice of <laughs> uh, uh being able to sleep not having right. a heroic effort to sleep having obviously good uh level of virility um hormonal balance yeah ha having empathy being like an altruistic individual like a, a, a maslonian sense of hierarchy of needs like your health is so good that you have excess energy to spend on other people you know what i mean like and that and that not only is good for it's good for those people presumably but also good for you like you feel fulfilled by helping other people um but uh yeah, you know, like I feel like that's like a huge problem in the health world. They'll be like, "Oh, you know, so and so is healthy. Like he eats this and he's healthy." It's like, how do you know that? Do you go to the bathroom with him? <laughs> like, <laughs> do you know how his bowels are? Uh, do you do you know how he acts when, um, or this person acts when they're cut off in line at the grocery store? Do they become irate? You know, like it. it, it health is so nuanced. You'd have to spend a weekend with a person to kind of get a sense of their health. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then and then some people in the health world are like absolute maniacs on the internet, you know? And and so I don't really consider that like a a great sign of health when a person's like uh like fighting all the time on the internet and stuff. Like it's almost the more you withdraw from the internet, I would presume you are healthier. <laughs> like <laughs> if you got away from it. And so dude, the the inter you got me started already. The internet <laughs> health world is like the biggest uh like the sickest place uh, i can think of you know besides like maybe politics the mm. internet health is like a close second to just uh schizo land and and weirdos and psychos that all are drawn to like um th these debates on the internet and so i 
I would say I would recommend trying to get what you need from it and getting out as fast as possible. Yeah. And I know you mentioned briefly for a while there, you were doing low carb carnivore for years. Was that true? And um, I mean, I've been in that space for a bit. I've done low carb and some fasting here and there. And I, I like to switch it up and sort of find what works best. Um, I, after talking with Jay, I have implemented some whole food carbs more into my diet um, just to see how I perform. And uh, just, you know, I also did blood work as well, just to see how, you know, how I would react to that. Um, so I'm in the midst of it, but, um, what was, I, obviously I'm assuming your experience, you know, low carb has been sort of this big driving thing in the health industry for a little while now. <clears throat> what was your experience with it? Uh, I mean, it was better than what I was eating before, you know, I, yeah. I think I went vegan in like 2007 or so. And then I got into low carb in 2008. And then do you, do you know who Charles Washington is? He's like the zero carb guy, even before mm. Sean Baker. Anyways, like the, he, he, I heard him on like Jimmy Moore's show a long time ago. And I was like, well, low carb is where it's at. So zero carb must be even better than that. And so uh, I went on that and maybe like 2008 and nine mm. and, um, so, so again, it was, it's, it was good. It was better than veganism is better than like the standard American diet. You know, like when sure. people tell me like they feel better on keto or carnivore or whatever, I don't, I don't think they're lying. Like, uh, and if you had asked me at the time, I would have told you I felt better. And also I was not lying. It's just like, so, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. You don't know how much better you can feel, you know? Um, or it's like being in a relationship or something. Sometimes you need to like step outside the relationship to like have perspective on it. And it's very similar, I think, with like food ideological things. But um, anyways, uh, so one of my huge problems on veganism was feeling cold all the time. Like I used to work at Apple retail and they kept the store freezing cold. And uh, I, w I remember what, like being on the floor one time and these like young girls that work there having a shirt on and I had like two sweatshirts on. And I was like, what the heck? my body can't like regulate its temperature at all. And um, so that was on veganism. And then I went to low carb and, and things got a little bit better. Uh, and then, uh, I, I think I still had some digestive problems at that time and I, I like kind of being extreme or I did, I did at the time. So I was like, I think eating meat sounds cool. Like only mm -hmm. meat. Like I, I would love to shock people and tell them that I ate like only meat and stuff and see what they said. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and also I kind of bought the idea that like the less carbohydrate you, you ate, like the healthier you were. Um, and I blame like all of the diseases of civilization on carbohydrates and things. So, uh, <laughs> so, so I did that and I think I did feel pretty good the first year, like relatively. And then the second year, I think I had some enhanced stressors in my life that I wasn't experiencing the, the first year. And they like, they were like the straw that broke the camel's back. And I was freezing cold. I was actually pretty heavy at the time of, uh, eating meat and water the second year. And Dude, I was going to get a huge tattoo on my back. Like I, I was going to pay this because I was still in a band. Like of a cow pay... or something? <laughs> I should have... It was actually <laughs> like the tree of life. Okay. And the tattoo artist was like so excited by it. And he was like, go ahead and like take a photo of your front and back and send it to me. I remember taking these photos and thinking look, like I looked like a pile of old rags. Like I felt I looked so bad. Mm. And um, anyways, I so... So there were a few things that caused me to reevaluate things, and uh, that sent me off the on the direction of. Uh, there was another guy in the health world named Matt Stone, and he was he was, he wrote a book called like Eat for Heat, and he was saying like starches and carbohydrate are useful for increasing the body temperature, and I had like a limited amount of success with that, um, but it it kind of like broke me out of the low carb confines, and and so I started thinking a little bit differently after that, and then eventually ran into Ray Pete and like kind of never looked back after that.
Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> you talk about temperature and pulse. Those are good insights as to, as far as metabolic health. Is that something you recommend people do, um, you know, maybe in the morning and then in the middle of the day or something? Yeah, yeah, Ray had a quote, and it's like you can't know where you are. You can't know where you're going if you don't know where you are. And so I look at like measuring the pulse and temperature as like basic metrics for assessing like the the rate of metabolism. And this is not me saying this is kind of like a Broda Barnes thing. That was that thyroid doctor. He wrote a book called Hypothyroidism: The Unsuspected Illness. And, and so I think doing that in the upon waking, like it's the first thing you do, like while you're in bed. Um, that would be a, like checking your pulse with your fingers and doing a one minute timer on your phone and then getting like a cheap VIX digital thermometer and putting it under your armpit, doing that in the morning. And then again, in the afternoon, um, like the, I, apparently the, the thyroid has a circadian rhythm where it should be the lowest in the morning and highest in the afternoon. And so a person could get a, re a relative sense of their, their thyroid function just by doing that test. And then also, um, uh, total cholesterol and vitamin D and prolactin and parathyroid hormone and TSH and like those are all useful tests too. And mm -hmm. so, uh, but the, the, those, the temperature and pulse are not, some people think it's like, oh, well, I won't do the temperature and pulse because I'm go going to go get lab work, but the temperature and pulse don't lie. Like lab work is like a Jackson Pollock painting. And it's like, I'm going to show you this and you tell me what you see. You know, it's <laughs> like 20 people would tell you different things or what they saw. And lab work can be so wildly interpreted differently by different people. And so, um, like me going back and looking at all the tests that I had gotten from doctors, like I, I cannot believe these people have jobs. Like they, they let stuff, I was telling them I was like freezing cold and, and my TSH was relatively high. So is my cholesterol. These are like kind of calling cards of low thyroid. My prolactin was high too, which are calling cards of low thyroid. And these, these like <laughs> trained doctors had no clue. It's just a sa sad state of affairs. And, th and that's why we're all rushing because institutions have failed. All of us is why we're having this conversation. You know, people are searching for what actually works because institutions are so terrible. Yeah. And you, and I know you talked a little bit about like, um, did you have some digestive issues? Um, I mean, I think sometimes that people have digestive issues and they end up getting into carnivore and it actually helps because they're eliminating a lot of those gut stressors that they, they took on with like grains and things like that. And even vegetables, maybe they can, they can't, they're not good at digesting, you know, raw vegetables. Um, is that part of the reason why you got into carnivore? Were you having gut issues or was it just something you thought was like the next thing? I actually say that in one of the videos I made, like I, I kind of give multiple reasons for why a person would feel real good doing carnivore. Mm -hmm. And it's like when you limit things to meat and water, you're cutting out so much like toxic shit in the diet that it's it's going to be really helpful for the person, especially when they're having intestinal irritation. Right. And so, um, yeah, at the, at the, I think I was most of my life I was constipated. And then when I went on carnivore. I didn't think of it as constipation, but I was having a bowel movement like every three days. It wasn't like hard to pass or anything. So it was right. just like really slow moving bowels. Um, but I did that. Um, that. It was one of the reasons. Like um, I think a lot of times I would eat a food and have some type of negative reaction to it. And so I kind of developed the idea that I was allergic to most foods. And so I think that's what drew me. That was one of the things that drew me to the, the carnivore idea. because uh, Because again, you can kind of like, Dude, I can find a reason not to eat anything. You know what I mean? Like, it's oh. pretty easy at this point. I can make like a hypothetical, uh, like reason to do that. And and if if you're in the health world for that long, you realize there's problems with like every food, you know. And and so, what, you could I think find people... something on. Start. You could find something on anything, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you want to justify eating, 
I don't know. I mean, there was like a, what, a grapefruit diet for a long time. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. You could Great, just, like, yeah. The, the, the cherry cure, the grape, <laughs> the grape a juice cure. There was like all those old school diets of like one fruit. And the thing is, they all had some like success. And so I was actually talking about this with the, my last call, but um, one of my smart friends like 10 years ago was like, Danny, a lot of the really successful diets all eliminate starch. So like the milk diet, the the grape juice diet, the cherry diet, the grapefruit, like the, a lot of them were just excluding starch to an extent. But anyways, um, and I went off topic. What, uh, what were we talking about? <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, you were talking about, we were talking about carnivore and how it, how it can be effective in the sense that, cause it, it eliminates a lot of the, the gut stressors that could, Got that it. could happen. God, I think the danger in it, you, using it for something like that is, um, it, it I, I kind of see carnivore and keto is like a one-way street to like nowhere. Like you're just going to like something I noticed very often was, well, a person would start at low carb, like a hundred grams per day or something. Then they go to keto 50 grams. Then they go to carnivore and they, and they, their problems, they just start like magnifying over time. And, and so it seemed like people were like digging the holes for themselves and it, it was just getting kind of worse and worse over time. And so I would hypothesize or infer that like their metabolism is getting su more suppressed and suppressed over time. And they're, they're, they're feeling the devastating effects of adrenaline and cortisol and things. And so it's, um, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know when you got in this space, but like in 2018, carnivore became like extremely popular, you know, like Jordan Peterson was talking about it. And then Sean Baker was on Joe Rogan. And I can think of probably like, 80% of the people that were really popular in space don't do it anymore, you know, and, there, and there's reasons for that. And also this gets into like generational health. So Sean, uh, Sean Baker, I think he's like a boomer, like Sean Baker can probably withstand the stress of the carnivore diet. Like he, he, he could withstand stress that would like kill a zoomer, you know? And so, <laughs> so I just think, I, I think like uh, not everybody is created equally in the sense that we're um, like I had asthma as a kid and like free access to my albuterol inhaler and, and was just like in my room puffing this uh, like it, so it's little things like that that can send a person off in a completely different trajectory health wise and um, yeah I mean I could list a lot of different things but the but, you should have but, Sean on your podcast. <laughs> I, he, he out of the i mean i mentioned schizos and psychos in the health world i he doesn't strike me as that he seems like no. a relatively cool guy i've had him on i've had him on yeah but uh he, he doesn't he, i again the i mean the bar is so low for the health world the people in the space are crazy um <clears throat> you know there's this you know argument in the low carb space as far as like or just in general fat oxidation versus glucose oxidation um you know, I think the the idea, and, I, and I'm to to blame or not to blame, but I, you know, the idea of burning fat for fuel just sounds like okay, let's go there. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I used to do quite a bit of fasting. I do think that like fasting can play a role in people's lives as far as giving them boundaries. I've sort of changed my point of view around it, but um, you know, burning fat for fuel just sounds like just the best and the, and the hottest what i know ray pete talks a lot about this um what's the advantage of being you know a glucose glucose oxidator versus just being a fat oxidator one of the things that like kind of shaped my perspective on that was there was a paper by a guy named like wolf and i can send it to you after this but like it says the enhanced mobilization mobilization of fat is like a fundamental res response to stress like sepsis, aging, et cetera. And so this was kind of like, um, 
like Hans Selye. So that was like a pioneering stress researcher. Like he like coined the word stress in French or something. Uh, and, and so he, he would talk about how the hypothalamus, the hormones from the hypothalamus pituitary and adrenals, th those hormones are the classical stress hormones and they all liberate fatty acids into the blood. And so it, it's almost like fat is like this backup fuel to slow the system down because um, the, the fat, the stoichiometry or whatever, it's going to consume more oxygen and produce less CO2. And while the most of people in the health world think CO2 is like this waste product uh, in the kind of the bioenergetic space, the, the, the CO2 is really uh, important for the consumption of oxygen, the absorption of oxygen by cells, tissues, and organs. And so um, basically there's nothing wrong with it per se. You know, it's like a mechanism to slow sure. the system down. But a, as far as like it's somehow optimal or like uh, burning sugar is dirty or something like that, those are kind of ridiculous, I think. But like uh, it, it, it's like, if if a person wants to burn fat, I think they're going to have to amplify their stress systems, and I think that would cause deterioration over a long long uh, long term. And um, and so again, a person would just this would be so easy. I'm not telling people they should trust me. I'm saying they could measure their pulse and temperature, and if those were low, I think they could infer that they had higher activity of the stress systems, and those systems liberate fat. Um, but like a, a person on their deathbed is liberating tons of fat into their blood. They're they're fat burners. <laughs> like that, that's the state of death. And so it's like the idea that we should like mimic that in some way is is and again, things things I'm saying right now are not controversial. Like this is like pretty fundamental in like in basic stress research. And so I as being a low carb person and finding this out, I was shocked. I I could not believe that so many people were saying that burning fat was some optimal fuel when, when it was so um ingrained in the literature that this was like a, a response to stress to slow the system down basically and so you know if someone's obviously let's just say someone's 15 20 30 pounds overweight and i know that's just one marker right the, uh but and they're like well you know they've had success well I, how should i phrase this what what would you, what's the some of the things you would say to them as opposed to just okay well let's you know lower carbs, right? which is a lot of times what happens, would it be more just like eliminating processed foods, uh, lowering like hoofas, things like that? I, I, I think the people that I talk to a lot of the time are, have been down like every single diet in existence, you know, right. and, and some of them, like I talk to su suicidal people on the reg and so I'm not, I don't find myself talking tons of about diet and things like, oh, you should lower carbs or increase your carbs. Like sometimes that does happen, but I, I think it's more the, like it, when the person's hit 30 or 35 or 40 or whatever, like so much damage has been done to them. I think a lot of times they're talking to me because they're interested in like um, my perspective on like taking thyroid or something like that. And so I, I, th I think that's why like, I don't really even consider myself like a diet person. I think that's just like one tool in the toolbox to increase the metabolism. Like, obviously mm -hmm. you have to eat and eating is important. And I cook 100% of all my own food. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think it's really important. Right. But I'm not, I'm not under the impression that like, if that person only ate better, all their problems would go away. You know, like, I, I think the situation is too dire, too bad for that. And so, um, so if I did talk to somebody, I mean, I do, I do talk to people all the time like that. But um like, for example, one person that sticks out in my mind, I was talking to them in L.A., and they 
got my name from somebody and they're like, uh, yeah, I wanted to talk to you because you're like a weight loss coach. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't, I don't even, I now barely ever talk about that. I don't, I don't know how you, you, that, that's what that person told you. But anyways, we were talking and they had lots of like symptoms of suggestive of lower thyroid function. And anyways, I talked to them like three months later and they started taking T3 and T4 and they were like, okay, I have a bunch of questions for you. Like I've been losing about one pound, one and a half pound per week since I started thyroid. And I have all these other questions for you. And, and it was just funny how like fast they had glossed by <laughs> like the losing one pound per week yeah. by only taking thyroid hormone. And I, I just thought that was funny because people are like killing themselves trying to figure out how to lose weight. But the one of the MOs of the right dose of thyroid is just that weight loss. And um. And so anyways, I think those those stress systems are the things that make a person lay down fat and and alleviating those by increasing the thyroid function is one of the basic uh, ways to lo lose weight or to have a set point that's lower. Yeah, what what are some natural ways to raise thyroid and and get metabolism going faster? What would you say? So so, uh, so somebody could get some lab work if they wanted, you know, just to make sure they could cross in their T's and dotting their I's, but they mm -hmm. could get like the parathyroid hormone measured. And that's involved in metabolic syndrome and depression and uh, like probably hair loss and probably a, a bunch of other problems. And so anyways, you could get this PTH measured. And one, one of the other problems with like kind of low carb carnivore diets is they're super high in phosphorus. And so when a person has like a mismatch of phosphorus and, and calcium, that chronically increases the need for the parathyroid hormone, which breaks down the bone, uh, liberating calcium into the blood. And then that tends to go into cells, turning on inflammatory processes, overstimulating them. And, and so just getting that parathyroid hormone down with more calcium would be like a real low hanging fruit to probably improve a person's quality of life. And so whether that was adding like Parmigiano Reggiano cheese or milk or something like that, um, or taking a vitamin D supplement or something like th there are easy ways to lower that and improve the quality of life. And, and so, um, yeah, that would be a really easy thing that could be measured. Like, it's not just like, Oh, Danny said to take more calcium for un some unknown reason. They could get, go get their parathyroid hormone measured. In fact, credit to Sean Baker. I think he talked about this in one of his videos on like vitamin D or something. And I was like, well, that's pretty, that's pretty progressive of him. Cause I've never heard any carnivore people, a uh, person, maybe Paul Saladino mentioned at some point, but um, Ray's been talking about that for like 20 years. So it's, uh, it's something that's really important. So typically phosphorus is high, as you mentioned, and, yeah. and ways to get it lower would be through more calcium or yeah. vitamin D. And the sugars and the fructose and the sugars helps to deplete it as well. So that that's another way to balance that ratio, I think. Okay. Yeah. Cause I remember hearing Jay talk about like orange juice. I'm like, orange juice. I'm like, I didn't, you know, like talk to maybe touch a little bit on, on how juice can be beneficial and almost like an, it's like anti-stress, right? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, in one of Ray's articles, I think he, he said the, the, the lack of availability for sugar is basically like the kickoff to this, the stress response. So like, the blood sugar of how low it gets basically signals the liver to release its glycogen. And I think that acts through uh, like adrenaline and glucagon and long-term uh, cortisol. Um, and I think the, the hypoglycemia triggers the corticotropin, corticotropin release hormone, which activates the pituitary to release ACTH and cortisol and the adrenals and things. But um, yeah, like it's sugar. I mean, I mean, so the cortisol, the whole function of cortisol is to break down the tissues to provide glucose. And so if a person is just not eating much uh, carbohydrate, 
they're going to increase their cortisol to make the glucose. And so, um, I, I mean, some carb, low carb people have started saying, well, that's a good thing then. Like, it, I mean, they'll take it, take it that far, but I, I don't know many people that think higher levels of cortisol are uh, like life extending. <laughs> uh, it also makes a person feel pretty bad. And, and so it and causes brain damage and things. So that's, pr that's probably a long-term issue. And cortisol is one of those things where obviously it fluctuates throughout the day. So as far as like measuring that, I mean, it's, it's higher in the morning, right, right away. And then it slowly decreases and stuff. If I guess if it's not decreasing, that's probably an issue, but you know, when you get your blood work done, it depends on what, you know, the time of day, right? Yeah. Yeah. The dawn phenomena, I think is when yeah. it rises and kind of wakes a person up. But so, so again, I would, I would say that if a person's uh, temperature and pulse are lower, cause cortisol suppresses the thyroid function. It's like one of those um, go longer on less hormones to slow things down. So that that's like the whole, this whole picture is like speeding it up for slowing it down. Like low carb, every, almost everything they say is like slowing it down. And, and that's like a philosophy or ideology, uh, ideology about health of like, it's actually good to slow things down because you're a car. And if you break down too fast, you won't last as long. So slow things down, like, like cryotherapy and ice baths and stuff like this, fasting, all those things are in an effort to slow things down. And so the reason I think most pe people find the like most low carbers find race stuff to be kind of like untasteful is it's like the complete opposite. You're trying to speed things up. You're trying to like mimic the metabolism of a five-year-old. And, and that's like, you want the pulse and temperature to be higher. Like um, sugars are better fuels in every single way than fats. Like they they help support mitochondrial respiration. The fructose like activates uh, multiple points in the respiratory chain that are blocked by fatty acids or damaged by PUFA. And so it's, um, it, it, again, again, it's like a completely reworking of the the paradigm or the frame of the frame a person is like like bioenergetic or rape people and low carbers are watching two different movies, you know, <laughs> and, and so that's why they it's hard to talk to each other because the, their values are completely different, and and that's why the the buy into this stuff is super high, and uh, and and I I think I saw a tweet from like somebody two days ago, like um. It it takes a lot of work to assimilate it, and I I hardly ever still see somebody like Steelman kind of raise ideas. It, it just a lot of times it just reeks of them having no idea what they're talking about. I do like an occasional plunge. I will say. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, obviously that's a stressor. I understand that. I I think it. And and tell me what your thoughts on this. I think like for example something like cold plunge, which I try to use just as a tool, uh, not like every day, but every so often, um, at, you know, obviously if you're stacking a bunch of stressors, that's when you can really run into an issue. What, what are your thoughts around that? So, so regardless of what I say, I, you could take your temperature and pulse before the plunge and then after and kind of see what was going on. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if a person had trouble sleeping that night or, or something like that, or they had like a really powerful adrenaline response, like I, I can't imagine how that would be explained as is useful or something. I, I think sometimes a low thyroid person um, will like to do kind of like extreme stuff to feel more alive. And so, like, they kind of feel like blah most of the time. And so when they go jump in an ice bath, like, their adrenaline rises and they're like, oh, shit, I feel so alive, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, or it's the same deal with, like, a long-distance runner. Like, they'll run so long that they get the the runner's high. And also, I'm sure you can think of multiple people like this, but, like, 
like chronically needing to argue with people is kind of like my my life sucks so bad. But if I argue, I'll kind of like raise the stakes of the situation and I'll feel better. And so I can think of many people I know that like like that, you know. And um, so, again, I, I think these are all even gambling or cheating on spouse, spouse or significant other. They're kind of like similar types of actions, you know, mm. and or doing drugs or whatever. So uh, anyways, I, I think life can be stimulating without these kind of like risky degenerative types of things of like needing to increase adrenaline to feel good. Like uh, I think just increasing the the the, the pulse and temperature, i.e. the thyroid function can make a person feel uh, like a higher level of wellness without needing to do anything. And and once they got there, if they jumped in an ice bath, they'd probably feel this terrible. Like it, it would cool their brain down, their body, daddy, it, it would it'd just be probably pretty disastrous. Yeah, I mean, I think you can probably there's probably sort of a curve where if you if you overdo something like that, if you're a generally healthy person and a functioning thyroid, and you want to occasionally go into a cold environment, I can't imagine that's going to wreck that much. But obviously, like you said, if someone is sort of has low thyroid and and these other issues, it and just going in a cold plunge just to feel good because of that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, like like you said, accumulation. Like we're all carrying around this like life bucket of stress of all the bad shit like that's ever happened to us, you know. And so it, it just depends on how fragile or weak the per- person is, you know. So um, what it's go ahead. I know I was just gonna say I, I wanted to ask you like what is your routine now as far as like I know it's interesting because you start digging into Ray P stuff and there's not like this. There's not a repeat diet, right? It's sort of a a Peterian lifestyle. lifestyle, I've heard it phrased. Um, so this university principle of like sell your energy and maximizing that. What what types of things do you do um as far as eating and and just in general to to sort of you know get the most of it? Um I don't think about it that much these days. You know, I take thyroid. uh, I I drink a lot of milk. um, I I drink a lot of coffee and add sugar to that and things. And so those are the kind of staples. Um, uh, I'm kind of at the mercy of my my buddy when he drives me to like Costco. I'm a I'm a complete bum and I don't have a car or anything, so like Mm -hmm. I can't really go get my own groceries. And uh, and uh, I I drink the opposite of raw milk, the UHT milk most of the time because I don't like yeah because the the that milk will last a long time. Plus plus I'm a doomsday bunker person, and so that will be better long term for Uh for having availability. And um, yeah, raw milk. I've gotten raw milk before. Yeah, it doesn't last that long. So plus some people don't. You're not opposed to it, are you? No, no. If a person digests well, it well, it's fine. But like, but some people don't digest it at all like it, it can cause really bad diarrhea so hmm. um i'm kind of of the opinion like uh it, the best milk is the one that digests well and tastes good and i'm not like the, these like puritanical people where it's like if it's pasteurized it's toxic and you need to drive four hours away from your location to go get raw milk i think that that becomes completely ridiculous and and the, and also you know i've i've I, I was pretty fortunate to travel or, or around the world and from like 2016 to just not recently and um, like I, I was, I spent some time in the Philippines. They don't even have pasteurized milk. They have like only U, UHT milk, and, and and same is true for a lot of other places in Asia. And I was just thinking like, oh, I'm in, uh, like I'm in Southern California, saying, oh, everybody should drink raw milk. And you don't realize you're excluding like huge swaths of the world to, mm-hmm. saying this type of stuff. And it's like, oh, the the you have to have this one special thing that's not in this area to be healthy. Like I, I just don't believe in that anymore. It's just um. 
there's like, lots of ways to increase the metabolism that have like nothing to do with food. Uh, and, and even something like UHT milk, I think it's better than no milk or something. And you said you take thyroid? Yeah, yeah. I've been taking that for about 10 years or so. But uh, there's two products in Mexico. One's called Sinoplus and the other one's called Sinoma. And I have no, I don't sell supplements and I don't have any, even my buddy Georgie, he has a supplement company, but I have nothing to do with that. Uh, but it, it, those were kind of OG original uh, Ray recommendations for a quality thyroid. And so I've been buying those for a long time. And you can adjust it during winter and adjust it during summertime to, to keep the metabolic rate up. And it's been super, super useful. Is that recommended for, would you recommend that for most people or just people who are hypo? Well, kind of the hypothesis here is almost everybody you meet is hypothyroid, like on a spectrum <laughs> of hypothyroidism. So uh, that's, uh, and so you could shake their hand and tell pretty quickly how cold their hand was and, and see if they were hypothyroid or not. But the, um, I, I wouldn't say, oh, everybody needs to take thyroid, but uh, because not a lot of people are comfortable with that, you know? So I, I, I'm kind of an advocate for doing things you feel comfortable with. So if the, if the calcium, if, you, if you, a person listening to this noticed that their phosphorus was super high and their calcium was really low, they should start there. Or if they got their vitamin D measured and it was really low, they should start there. But um, like some, a person might, uh, hearing this might be like me listening to Ray Pete. And for the last like five years, I was freezing cold. And I was like, man, this sucks so bad. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take thyroid immediately to try to warm up because feeling cold is a really torturous symptom. And so, um, but I, I think 90% of the people I talk to end up taking thyroid and it's, um, it's a, it's a therapy that like demands a person's attention. It's not like a take it and forget it, uh, kind of thing. I, I think a person has to be clued into what, what's happening, but mm. there's like a learning curve. And if a person sticks with it, I think mo most of the time people understand how helpful it is. And as far as eating, like, are you trying to eat a certain way? Or is, I know, you know, obviously, I know there's not a per, per se, a repeat diet, but are, are there certain things? I know you've talked about liver and oyster. There's certain foods that you sort of prioritize. Yeah, yeah. I try to eat those about once a week or so, like an egg or two every day. Um, cheese, like quesadillas. I've like basically run on quesadillas. <laughs> and so that... Um, and uh, there's like a cheap grape juice here and then a really high quality one, but the really high quality one is very expensive. Orange juice has been hard to find just the last like year and a half in general. I don't know what's going on with that. Mm. Like guavas are widely available here, like chiramoyas and longans and lychees and things. So like kind of exotic type of fruits. Um, so again, I get those when I have access to them. That's like another thing I didn't understand uh, in my 20s is like you you take advantage of the things you have access to, like being in Japan or whatever, like I take advantage of the foods that are good there when I was there and the same for Malaysia or the Philippines or wherever. And, and everybody has access to different stuff. And so it's just, I, I kind of think of Ray's dietary stuff is not as some perfect diet that people should aspire to eat. It's more about not being poisoned. It's like more <laughs> that these foods are semi-reliable for not containing a bunch of additives that are going to like harm a person. And, and so I, that I think that was like a major paradigm shift for me is understanding that um, the food supply is so bad that like that again, just eating meat can be really helpful, you know, to, to a lot right. of people. And so uh, like a long time ago, maybe like 2012 or something, I, I made like a series of blog posts called the lens of a Peterian. And I was trying to explain like why uh, fruitarianism helped some people and why like carnivorism helped some people. And, and a lot of them have overlapping things, you know? And so 
I think something like Ray's like big picture idea explains a lot of stuff, it explains a lot of things about different dietary approaches and why like being out in the sun makes a person feel good and why like having something that you're like there's a quote from Abraham Maslow. It's like the only people I know that are happy are doing something they feel strongly about or feel like is important. And so all, all things being equal, if a person had just like terrible nutrition, but was like really felt like they were on their life trajectory or fulfilling things they needed to, like their health might be better than the most ardent carnivore person that felt purposeless or something. And so uh, there's so much goes into it. And once you, I think a person acknowledges how complicated it is, like the, the dietary war stuff becomes way less appealing, I think. Yeah. And he talks about like, obviously sugar, aspirin, calcium through um i mean calcium is is your best way to get calcium would you say it's through milk or would you say through supplementation or even leafy greens yeah milk or cheese or okay. Okay. uh spinach or well-cooked kale or calcium carbonate like i'm not a big supplement guy but that, i think that's warranted to supplement if uh it was really low um and then we talked about red light uh i just was telling you off air before we got on i just got uh a red light therapy whatever you want to call it. Um, what was his thoughts on red light? I think I'm a huge propo proponent of these chicken lamps that I have behind <laughs> me. And so I, I, the one kind of beef I have with the red light industry is they make these big things that are like $900. Yeah. Like these lights behind me are like $30. And, and so that's another thing I loved about Ray is like kind of the Dave Asprey's of the world are like catering to this like elite mentality of health of what it is, what you have to be a billionaire to like buy all his junk. And, and, and I, I just don't think health has, it's like only for rich people, you know, and, and Ray's whole intro into the health world was trying to like help low, lower socioeconomic people, like, like get, get better health. So, so presumably they could rise up and overthrow like the, the bad stuff that was going on. So it, it, it's, um, I just, I just, yeah, anyways, $30 chicken lamp for some $900 juve light or something like that. And and honestly, I think these chicken lamps are probably better. Ray was making the case that the incandescents give off inconsistent spectrum that's more similar to sunlight. And he was saying at least in a few experiments with the LED red lights, they could cause uh, cancer growth. And so he, he was saying the LEDs were more similar to like EMF and that they weren't always safe. And so, hmm. so again, a situation where the, the cheap, Six thirty sixty dollar thing is going to be superior to the thousand dollar lamp. And what about uh, like a couple other things that I know he's talked about? Coffee, you like coffee? How how is he? I mean, coffee obviously, depending on where it's sourced, probably plays a big role as far as health. Uh, what are your thoughts around that? Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I have like real limited access to good brands of coffee here, but um, mm, okay. yeah, I, I don't I, like a pro. I, I I have a, I don't have a super strong opinion on it. I kind of buy the ones that I like, and th those happen to be like organic varieties. But I don't even know how important organic is these days, or what that even means. Um, but yeah, the, I think the biggest thing with coffee is if a person is under stress and they drink like black coffee, that's likely to lower their blood sugar and kind of cause the rise in adrenaline that makes a person real shaky. And so I think I think the the coffee being like this double edged sword, it, it should probably be diluted with heavy cream or milk. And sugar should be added to it to to not like lower the blood sugar, and so I think that's like kind of the biggest rub against coffee is using it black, hmm. and so, um, and then if if it's like if a person's using it because they think they have to or something, it's always causing problems. 
I would just recommend dropping it or something. It's like not, it's not People. worth feeling horrible all day or something because Ray drank five cups of coffee. Therefore I need to, or something like that. Right. I, I used to think like that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if you rely on it too much, then it's probably not a good thing. If you feel like you're like, you need it to get going for the day. You know, I, I try to use it. I'm not a big coffee drinker, but I'll use it strategically. I'll actually add salt to it um, and do that like pre-workout. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 the one, the, so I was never a coffee drinker until I found out who Ray Pete was. And even then it took a long time to integrate it into things. But, um, the one thing that kind of turned me over was, um, uh, it being a source of magnesium. I didn't know that. And, uh, but, but yeah. like a strong cup of coffee can, can contain like a significant amount of magnesium. And so yeah. every, anybody that's been in the health world long enough, they know that magnesium is kind of hard to get on any diet. Right. And, and so ha having coffee as a source of magnesium is pretty useful. And then uh, lastly, what about saturated fats? Thoughts around that? Um, I know with the Ray Pete, he wasn't like a huge high protein guy, where he's more like a moderate protein approach. Well, yeah, that was a major thing that he's kind of shifted on towards the end of his life. I thought it was, if I had a few questions to ask him, I think a lot of them would be about that. Okay. Um, just because I thought it to be, I find it more fascinating now than when I had access to him on like the podcast to ask him about it. Um, Did you have him on your podcast? Yeah, we talked we talk to him all the time. Oh, okay. um, it, it was, it was, it was what made 2021, those were such shitty years and like 2021 and 2022 were so special because he, he we had him on so much. We, we were like spoiled. We had him on so much. It was just like crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, what was your question about? Oh, protein? saturated fats. Oh yeah. I think he was huge. Like the, that the, the PUFA, I think to him was like the most wrecking, devastating thing in our, that had been added to our food supply. So there's like, I'm sure you've seen it, but like there's a reference that says from 1909 to 1999, the amount of soybean oil in the diet went up a thousand percent. And so, so again, just, just eliminating that would probably improve everybody's health like tenfold. You know, we probably go into some like uh, uh, utopian society just by getting rid of these vegetable and seed oils or something. So I, I think those are the things that are accumulating in the body, causing like cellular injury um, amplifying the hypothalamus pituitary adrenals. Like if we had pure saturated fat in our body, I think when we'd encounter stress, like a mismatch between our resources and um, uh, the demand and available resources, we those sy same systems would be activated and we'd release saturated fat into the blood. And I think that release of the, the, the saturated fat into the blood would over time terminate the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal reaction. So it would be like self-limiting. But because I think we have PUFA in our tissues, those tend to like amplify the the stress reaction. And so I think that's why, um, again, fo focusing on the stress energy whole, whole concept is so fruitful um, because uh, everybody, I mean, if you ate just a normal Western diet for a certain amount of time, you probably have lots of unsaturated fat in your in your tissues. And you could do, I guess you could do a biopsy to check or something, but I don't know if it'd really be worth it. But um, yeah, the saturated fat, like I just got two dogs. I don't know what they were eating for... I don't even know how old they are, like maybe two months or something. So I, I've been feeding them lots of coconut oil to kind of like dilute whatever they were eating before mm -hmm. that, you know? And um, does, uh, does eating saturated fats help dilute if you're, if you've had a diet of fast food for the past 20 years, does that help dilute the, the amount of PUFAs that could be in your system? I, I think so. And it also helps um, 
like at least coconut oil i, I think it has some like aspirin like qualities like uh, inhibiting the cyclooxygenase 2 enzyme that makes the prostaglandins which is kind of like one of the reasons pufa is harmful is that it can turn into these um, like hormone like fats called prostaglandins and for example one of the prostaglandins takes uh, testosterone and aromatizes it into estrogen and so um anyways like coconut oil has like anti-inflammatory properties and so i think that's i think that's true of probably most saturated fats but uh but yeah, that, is that what you? Bit. I'm sorry. Is that what you cook in a lot? Do you cook in a lot of coconut oil, or do you use something else? I don't really love the taste that much, so I, I just use butter most of the time whenever I'm going to cook something. Okay. And when you talk about pufas, like industrial seed oils, you're talking like canola, corn, cottonseed, peanut, all those sunflower. Yeah, yeah and they're just the easiest things to replace in the world. Like right. if a person were going to do one thing, I mean, and 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 I, I mean just. I doubt anybody's going to miss their canola oil, like replacing that with coconut oil, like the, the refined version or even hydrogenated coconut oil like that. That would um, probably taste better. And I doubt a person would miss it. You know? Yeah. You don't, you, well, you don't even know it's in products. I think I was looking. I mean, it's an obviously I was looking at sunflower seeds. They're in sunflower seeds. They're in grapes. Well, yeah. Uh, brown rice. They're so. in grapes. The poof of it are in grapes. So five tablespoons grapeseed oil requires. Oh, 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 this is what I was looking this up. Five tablespoons of grapeseed oil requires six hundred twenty-five grapes. Oh wow, <laughs> crazy! Yeah. Five tablespoons of corn oil requires ninety-eight ears of corn. Oh my <laughs> yeah, god! Super efficient process. <laughs> yeah, sounds real efficient. Yeah, I got misread. I misread that for a second, but that I just was looking that up. Um. Eat, um, interesting. So yeah, I, I try to cook in coconut oil or ghee. I like to use ghee. I don't know if you ever use ghee, but yeah. have yeah. it stocked up for the apocalypse. Oh, dude. <laughs> I didn't even want to go down that road with you. That could be another <laughs> hour the apocalypse that's coming. Um, is that, is that why you moved to Mexico? Actually, I moved here in 2016. And so yeah. like, I like, I like talking about political things, but I don't, I don't like, I'm not going to kill somebody for like, uh, not agreeing with me. But that, that's where people were getting in, in San Francisco in 2016. And so I was like, man, screw this. And I, I left. And um, and so, it, I mean, in retrospect, it was real scary. But in retrospect, it was probably one of the better things I've ever done because um, mm -hmm. I was actually in uh, Thailand when the Corona stuff started. And I was like, damn, I got to go back to Mexico because the Corona stuff was um, becoming like tyrannical really quickly in Thailand. And uh, it was really scaring me. And, and so I, I had to come back here. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, Danny, this was great. I feel like we could probably talk for another few hours, but <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it at that. What, what I, I asked this question to my guests and you can answer how you want. Like what tip would you give someone that's looking at their health back in order? And maybe they've been, you know, they've put on some weight They're you know, this is, they want to sort of get back to where they were 15 years ago or 10 years ago. We probably talked about it already, but what what type of what initial tip would you give that individual? Really, probably what we talked about earlier, like uh, me measuring the pulse and temperature, or gathering some data, and then kind of going from there. Like Ray has a famous line, like perceive, think, act. So like trying to notice stuff about your body, thinking about why it's happening, and then experimenting. And so I think that's like really the only thing to do with any of this stuff is uh, it, it's like one thing to hear something that kind of makes sense. But the other thing is to experiment with it and feel no feel a difference, you know. Um, and, and that's why Ray was all about experience being like the source of tr true knowledge. And so I, I, I think um, 
Yeah, I mean, you have no idea how many people I've talked to who were like, I mean, I started with the carrot salad and now I'm taking thyroid and aspirin. You know, like <laughs> it's like that trajectory is so common and and people never think they're going to get there. But I think they feel good with the carrot. Then they'll like add in carbohydrate or then they'll add in calcium. They'll feel better. And then um, and, and things they'll have been dealing with for long periods of time will just go away or something. Like for me, I had like a really serious libido problems in my early 20s. And when I added more calcium, they went away in like a day. And they, I felt like I was struggling with it for like five years. Right. And so it, it was just like shocking to me how some of these simple things fix major problems like in, in a weekend, you know? And so, um, but anyways, it's, uh, it, 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 there's a quote I love. Did I already say this by Buckminster Fuller? It's like, I'm not, I think I already said it. Wait, no, I don't know if you said it. Well, uh, I just hate all the time. That's why I probably don't know. Okay. It's um, I'm not, uh, I'm not a genius. I'm just a tremendous bundle of experience. And so it's like the only thing you have to to gain from all this stuff is just more knowledge about yourself. Like, and who doesn't want that? You know what I mean? And so, um, and, no, and knowing more about yourself just makes your life easier. So, uh, it, it, and I really feel like Ray's stuff is a toolbox to actually allow you to learn something versus like some nonsensical theory about what our ancestors did that has like no basically no relationship to your life whatsoever. And so it, I, I think that's just a kind of a useless framework to to engage with. What about blood pressure? Is that something you have? There's a series of articles by a guy named Dave McCarran who, who found that uh, the thing linking uh, low blood pressure and like diet was usually a deficiency of calcium. And so there's like a mm -hmm. hormone that's connected to hypertension and high blood pressure called aldosterone that tends to rise when the parathyroid hormone rises when there's a deficiency of calcium or vitamin D or vitamin K or something. So, mm -hmm. and then I mean, hypothyroidism, uh, hypertension is something else that can happen. So there, that that's like the constellation of bad things that happens when a person's low thyroid or deficient in calcium or vitamin D that, that tends to coincide with high blood pressure. I know you're not a big supplement guy, but is there a vitamin D like vitamin D with K2, I'm assuming, or is, is that something that one that you like over the other? Yeah, yeah. Any vitamin D that's like just in olive oil or like a vitamin K that's just in olive oil. Like, um, okay. I, I'm like really not confident in MCT oil anymore. Like, I think that can cause digestive problems for a lot of people. And so with supplements, I think it's just important to be real judicious with it and, and not, um, like, I think they cause more problems than they solve most of the time. But I, I think vitamin D and olive oil and vitamin K and olive oil, uh, I think those are some like heavy hitter supplements that can improve a person's quality of life with not much effort. And if they find safe versions of them, yeah, I think those would be relatively safe to use every day. Does Georgie have that in his line? His, his vitamin K is like my favorite. Like uh, right now, basically nobody is making vitamin K and olive oil. And so he kind of did everybody a big up uh, by making it. Um, I don't, as far as I know, I don't think his vitamin D is in olive oil. So I've been purchasing one from a company called premier research labs. But the thing is like in like six or eight months, like this company could stop, change the recipe to their vitamin D. So it's like this constant evolving process of finding stuff that's like not toxic. And so like right now that supplement is good, but who knows in four or five or six months or a year or something if it's still good. What's the name of Georgie's line? I think his vitamin K is called quinone. Um, mm -hmm. and it's idealabsdc.com. Ideal you, you should be paying me for this advertisement. <laughs> you should be getting a kickback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Danny, this was great. Um, thank you so much. Best place for people to find you. Probably on telegram t.me slash Danny Rowdy is probably the best place right now. Or the Substack. I think it's uh, substack.dannyrowdy.substack.com. I think, I don't know. 
Okay. I'll put some, I'll put some links in the show notes so people can find you in the work that you're doing. Um, I appreciate you coming on and sharing all this knowledge. Dude, total pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.